0: In the lead-up to the 2016 presidential election, we've heard a lot about fake news sites that either post misleading or flat-out false stories. Following an election night where the results seem to have surprised at least half the country's voters, we've heard even more about the epidemic of fake news, which some claim played a role in the outcome. Even outgoing President Barack Obama had something to say about the phenomena and its impact on democracy. There's so much active misinformation And it's packaged very well, and it looks the same when you see it on a Facebook page or you turn on your television. If if everything uh, seems to be the same and no distinctions are made, then uh, we won't know what to protect. We won't know what to fight for. But misinformation on the Internet isn't anything new. I'm Brad Linder, and this is LPX. While sites like factcheck.org and PolitiFact have popped up in recent years to evaluate claims made by politicians, Snopes.com has been looking into urban legends, rumors, and claims of all sorts for more than two decades. Brooke Binkowski is managing editor of Snopes, and she joins us now on LPX. Thanks for being here, Brooke.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: So this stuff that people are calling fake news, what exactly is it?
1: Well, it, there's a whole sort of series of things that are are going on. There's some satire news that gets mistaken for, like, hoax news. Or, well, it gets mistaken for real news, right? And that is, that's one thing. Like, people don't see the humor in it, and then they go, oh, well, this is an outrage, you know, I better share this. And then sometimes satire becomes viral. Um, and then there's news that's sort of taken out of context, where it's an actual news story but the nuance or the context just isn't there and that's another thing um and sometimes that happens you know that's that's a pretty common thing sort of garden variety stuff but then there's the people who just make up stuff and just kind of go to town and write whatever bullshit they want to write and it ends up just, like, spreading all this misinformation. And it's it's pretty dreadful. It's not innocuous at all. It It started out, and some of it is still innocuous. It's like, oh, I don't know, scientists discover that we have a second moon. You know, something like that. Okay, obviously... Not true, but kind of funny, pass it around, goes viral, whatever. But now it's this really sort of racially charged stuff that you see. A lot of it, I would say actually like 90% of it is racially charged in some way or another, even when it's not overtly political, but usually it's overtly political. And it's sort of an offshoot of this clickbait that you see. You know, Hillary Clinton denies being a liar. Click here for more. You know, it's this breathless sort of sensationalistic fake news. And that is. A major, major problem that I see.
0: And and I know you've been at Snopes for a little over a year now, but do you have a sense of like, is this something that's really new or has it been around for a long time?
1: I think that it's been around for a long time. I think it's always been around. I know that it's being recognized all of a sudden as a fake news is as, as being a problem. But I really do think that fake news is has always been, you know, there's been propaganda, there's been rumors, there's been like some of the most venal like hoaxes. I mean, it may have had a different form, but it has always existed. People, there will always be people out there who want to be the center of attention and start fake stories or spread false rumors or spread hoaxes because they think it's funny or want to destabilize a government or, you know, I mean, you know how it goes, <laughs> or, or people who, who just want to be the center of attention and they just want people to talk about them. And they have no problem, you know, hoaxing people. And it's just sort of human nature. And what's what's different now is that now there's a more immediate megaphone for them via the Internet.
0: Yeah. And, and, and sites like Facebook, you know, you mentioned clickbait, you know, when Facebook really sort of started to take off. It started off as a place where people would go and they would sort of share news about what was going on in their lives and you'd share pictures of your lunch or whatever. And it really became a sort of big place uh, where people would share news and a place where some people get almost all of their news from. And it led to the rise in sites like uh, Upworthy, where it's like, you'll never believe what happened next kind of news And what you're saying is like this sort of stuff does really well in that environment where it's something that's meant to shock you, has a headline that sort of shocks you and you're like, oh my God, and you either click the link or maybe don't even read the article and just like it and therefore wind up sending it on to even more people, right?
1: Right. And I think that blaming Facebook, I've seen a lot of people pointing the finger at Facebook and I don't have any affiliation with them besides the fact that I'm on social media pretty much all the time. But I do want to defend them because I think that it's it reminds me a whole bunch of every time there's an election, the side that does not win blames the media. And to me, this sort of seems like a kind of blaming the media on steroids, right? It's like, well, here's what happened with this election. Oh, I can't believe Facebook let this happen. Let's let Google let this happen. You know, and so to me blaming the media, blaming Facebook, blaming Google, blaming Twitter, whatever is a mask for the real problem that people don't seem to want to confront. And the real problem is too complicated, I suppose. It's sort of this ongoing issue and Well, first of all, there's an issue of socioeconomic division that's making people angry and that's been ongoing for years. I mean, that's nothing new. But what I think is the biggest problem in the fake news industry or the biggest thing that's enabling the fake news industry is the fact that the real news industry is is circling the drain. I mean, you don't know. People don't know who to trust anymore because every news organization seems to have some kind of agenda because they've been playing for clicks for the longest time. And the people who are still there um, in every news organization that I know of, and I know a lot of people and a lot of news organizations, they're terrified of losing their jobs because everybody around them has gotten the ax. And so they're doing so much that of course they're inevitably going to screw something up, even if their intentions are the best they can possibly be. And then everybody points at them and says, oh, you see, this is why you can't trust the media. That's why I get all my news from red state Patriot, because they are telling it like it is. And I think that what, what we need More than ever. I mean, we've always needed this, but what we need more than ever, and I'm speaking as a journalist and I realize that my perspective is colored by that, but we need a robust news industry in the United States and in Canada and in Mexico. I'm not leaving the rest of North America off the hook, but right now in the U.S., that would solve a major, major problem that we we have, which is... The issue of fake news, misinformation, propaganda. Again, that's why it exists, the news industry, to combat against the spread of propaganda and false stories and gossip and hoaxes and all the things that allow the sort of destabilization of everyday life or at the very least has people living in division, divisiveness and fear of the other.
0: Right. So, th- so there's sort of this hole that, that these organizations are coming into and people are like, there, this fits a need that I have is I don't see the news that I want. and And definitely, I mean, increasing pressures on the economics of newspapers is driving – you know, newspapers out of business and eliminating jobs and there's not enough reporters to actually cover the news. And then there's this demand to try and get clickbait stuff so you can get more advertising revenue. And you definitely see it a lot in smaller areas where, you know, smaller papers just can't afford to compete. But then I mean it's not like there hasn't been some great journalism over the past year or two, right? Like, you know, the New York Times has done some amazing stuff, uh, ProPublica, a lot of, you know, organizations, but then you have these people who look at that and say, well, that's the fake news. And how do you counter that when people look at sort of 100-plus years of journalistic practice and people applying the tools of journalism to try to get at the truth? And people are like, well, I, I don't trust any of those people. I only trust X, Y,
1: or Z. com.
0: Is that a real website?
1: No, I don't know. I'm just putting together all these. I've seen, like, red state politics. I wouldn't be surprised.
0: I mean, I've seen so many. I would not be surprised.
1: I know, God. It's so Register awful. it now. <laughs> Just right now. Well, like, I think what There's, there have always been, as long as I can remember. I shouldn't say always. But throughout my lifetime, personally, I've talked to a lot of fringe people over the years because... That's kind. Of, I just I'm interested in what people on the fringe have to say, and I've talked to well I've just talked to a lot of like different people over the years, and there has always been as long as I can remember a contingent of people who say, well you can't trust the government, you can't trust the mainstream media, you can't trust this and that, but it's never been quite so pronounced, and I think that that's that's a symptom of a major problem. So yes, there has been great journalism, but there's just not enough of it. I mean, any news person who's been in a newsroom, I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is just dreadful. It's like you go into these big, beautiful newsrooms that have four people working in them. And they're, you know, trying to churn out all these stories. And I'm exaggerating for effect because uh, although I've seen that, I know it's not that widespread. But it's just like the, the fact of the matter is journalism takes a lot of resources. Doing it right takes resources. Doing it consistently right takes even more resources. And that's what people have to do. You have to speak the truth and you have to keep saying it even if it doesn't seem like it makes a difference, because otherwise you're bending the facts to the will of what people want, and that's not journalism. You're doing something else. It's like when you see people doing that and you see papers going the clickbait route, it's like, no wonder you're not trusted anymore. You know, you have to not do that. So um, I don't have an easy solution or anything like that. I just think that that is a big, big part of the problem, and I seem to be the lone voice in the wilderness talking about it. But to me, it seems perfectly clear. And I say this all the time. People will slow down to look at a traffic accident, not because they want to see horrible things, but because they want to learn. They want to know what happened. And people are just like that. That's human nature. Humans want to learn things. Even the most intellectually incurious person will still want to learn and know about the world that's going on around them. And so what we need is just to put good information out there, you know, like vetted, sighted, information that shows what we're talking about, because the only way we can drown out fake news is to put real news back into the mix.
0: So, so that brings us back to what you're doing at Snopes, which is, again, this organization started about 20 years ago to sort of debunk urban myths and urban legends and has really grown into, it still does that, but it does a lot more fact-checking of news stories, fake news stories, political claims, and, and things like that. How do you, how do you go about... Um... You know, proving or disproving some of the things that are out there.
1: Some things are easier than others. Like sometimes they come from known websites that are just hoax news and nothing else. It's just you know, when it's not so clear cut, we'll we'll end up like, we'll try to find the people who are written about in these fake news stories and calling them. We'll try to pull the police records. We'll try to um, find any public records we can find. For example, if there's something that's going on supposedly around the border. For example, I can just go to the border because I'm very close to it and go check it out and and see. I mean, there's a lot of just old fashioned reporting that we do. And it seems to be this sort of magical thing to people now where they're like, oh, my God, how did you find that out? Well, we did boots on the ground, gumshoe style reporting. And it's kind of interesting how far out of fashion it is. We also pull academic papers to see if scientists, for example, who are quoted as saying there's no such thing as climate change actually said that and we'll go through the cited papers we'll go through you know all of the the things that they've written and so it's just that kind of stuff just digging things up and doing research and it's really time consuming and it takes a lot of resources, but it's so satisfying. There are some stories where it's like he said she said kind of thing, and there's just no way and we We have a category for that we call those unproven, which I call the gentleman's false because they're generally not true. <laughs> that's what we do. Do we just report
0: no no there's there's a phenomenon that's been pretty widely reported. I think that you know when a false story gets out there and gets shared a lot and lots of people pay attention to it and then it later gets proven to be incorrect, quite often. Those debunking or or fact checking reports don't get shared nearly as widely. And so, can you put the cat back in the bag?
1: We try to. I mean, it it takes more time because, you know, these fake news stories have been specifically written to upset people and get them going and get them shared. We, you know, reality can't compete with fantasy. And so we have to like say, just say the same thing over and 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 and, et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes it just doesn't work. Sometimes people just really, really want to hang on to their ideas about the world. And with people like that, I mean, you can't force people to think a certain way, but you can put information out there and make it available. And I truly believe that that does more than forcing them to do anything anyway. It just takes more time.
0: So, so, you know, let me put two headlines out for you and you tell me which one's going to get more links. Did the Clintons kill off their political enemies or the Clintons did not kill off their political
1: enemies? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so much sexier to think that, you know, this political family was going around – performing like sicario type actions you know it just feeds into the worldview of the evil federal government big government pawn type thinking and that's the other thing too like people will share stuff because it plays into their worldview i don't necessarily believe that a bubble exists but i do believe that people try really really hard to make a bubble for themselves
0: well it's, it's funny you mentioned that because i you know i've you and I have known each other for a number of years, although it's been a while since we've talked, but I follow you on Facebook, and I feel like you have less of a filter bubble than almost anybody else that I follow on social media, because you probably, by engaging in these sorts of stories and working at Snopes, and the sort of work that you were doing before you were at Snopes as well as a journalist, um, you have people on all sides of the political spectrum calling you an idiot. Yeah,
1: so. <laughs> all the time. It's so amazing.
0: I, is, that, is that healthy? Should we all have that?
1: Um, it's, it's pretty unpleasant, but I do I can say this, um, before I started working here, I had a much thinner skin. Now I'm kind of, I've discovered that in the end, I'm actually not a very nice person. Like if somebody's calling me an idiot and saying they hope I die, I'm like, Oh, bring it, bring it. I will take, I will, I will out crazy you. And that's probably not a good way to be, but, um, it's pretty satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't think that people should have to deal with it because that, that's just kind of unpleasant. And, I don't think that people should have to put themselves through that in order to step outside their particular ideological bubble. But I do think that listening to each other and what we're saying and why we're saying it and why people are doing the things that they're doing is very valuable. I'm not preaching like we should all hug it out because I unfortunately don't think that some people are worth hugging, but I do think that listening to what other people are saying and why they're saying it is very instructive. And so it's um, extremely important to at least, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, news was supposed to to sort of do that as well. You know, I, it's supposed to present the state of the world, even if it's something that you wouldn't ordinarily follow so that you, again, you can sort of feel your way around an increasingly unfamiliar and quickly moving world. And so it's it's kind of... Uh, I have no really good solution to that, I'm afraid. But yeah, I mean, you've seen like what a what a shit show my Facebook page can be sometimes. And I try really hard to not delete people because I respect them and I respect people who I disagree with. But it really is hard to continue to respect them when they decide to throw the first stone and say, oh, you're just a goddamn idiot, blah, 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 you know, whatever they're saying.
0: Right. And and, I mean, you engage with them in a way that I think a lot of people don't like there's. I think I saw some stats recently suggesting that uh, conservatives are more likely to engage with people who they disagree with. I don't know that they actually change anybody's opinions. They might just yell at each other if they disagree with each other. Whereas liberals are more likely to just like unfriend them or stop talking altogether. And, you know, like you said, maybe if people just spent more time talking to each other and trying to understand each other, maybe there would be less of a divide. But I don't know if that's plausible right now
1: <laughs> that is super interesting yeah uh, i haven't read that but that sounds pretty reasonable to me i mean one of the things i've seen about um that like super hardcore conservatives and the super hardcore liberals and I'm, I'm going for the extremes here because it's impossible to make any kind of like sweeping generalization even though i'm about to <laughs> but i've noticed that with conservatives like if you sort of push back if they're yelling at you and then you come to some kind of common understanding then you're you're like they will respect you for that whereas with liberals if you push back to what they're saying you're right you'll just they just won't engage with you anymore and i wonder i don't understand exactly what that is i think it might be sort of the conservative worldview versus the liberal one i hesitate to make any kind of any more kind of sweeping generalizations but I, i'm I'm actually a little sore right now because i i was reading some article by some writer and I went to look at her Twitter page because I was just curious about her and I found that she preemptively blocked me and I have no idea why because I've never had any kind of interaction with her, nothing. And um, I was asking some of my friends about it. I was like, well, why would this this woman block me? I, I don't know her. I just wanted to see what she was all about after reading an article by her. And they said, oh, well, there's a thing on Facebook now called shared block lists or on Twitter rather. And I thought, well, what, what kind of world are you creating if you're supposed to be this like open minded, progressive, liberal person when you're preemptively blocking people you've never had any interaction with? I mean, I know that that's not just a liberal thing, but I, she was on the liberal side of the spectrum. I just thought that is not the way to foster open conversation. And the other thing is, I think that there is a real fear of confrontation and friction right now, even as we're in a. Place with that's very confrontational and filled with friction, and so people will do anything they can to avoid that, and that also has an extreme chilling effect. I mean, a little friction is necessary. I think it's just as frustrating. And and just as wrong to completely refuse to engage with people just because you might disagree with them um, as it is to just go yell at somebody and scream at them and not listen to them just because you happen to disagree with them. I mean, there's got to be a middle way. We've got to have some civility. I mean, I don't think again, I don't think that that is all of the problem. But I think that that is another part of this multifaceted problem that we're having right now that's divided people completely politically.
0: And, and I'm actually going to move off politics in a moment. But like, One thing I wanted to talk about, though, is Snopes, I think, has done a pretty good job of uh, trying to stay centrist. Uh, You debunk claims on both sides of the spectrum, you know, anything that seems fishy, you guys will go after. Uh, and I think you take heat for doing both of those things. But you're getting a little bit more from one side that has decided that you are just not a trustworthy site, right?
1: I've been compiling this list and it's, uh, it's Snopes Bias 2016. And it's basically all the emails we get that say we're in the tank for, you know, one person or the other or one worldview or the other. A lot of people think we're funded by George Soros, who has become this like boogeyman to the conservatives. And I don't understand exactly how he's become a boogeyman, but I also don't understand how people think that he funds us because he does fund some journalistic endeavors, but he doesn't fund us. And, I mean, if he did, I wouldn't care. I would say, yes, he funds us, but he doesn't. I just don't understand. It's like this idea that it's just like this big old cover-up and, you know, we're just this shadowy organization, and it's it's pretty ridiculous. But it's, it's interesting because I, I see... Probably nine emails telling me that I'm getting paid off by Hillary Clinton, for example, calling me a liberal Shill for every one email telling me I'm a conservative Shill and I'm getting paid off by Trump. I, I actually thought about this the other day and I realized what I think it is. The conservative viewpoint is actually it's it's a pretty narrow set of the right wing in the United States seems to have had a lot more unity. And and well, maybe until now, but they they have had a pretty unified front and they seem to like agree on a very specific number of things that they want to see happen in the future. Right. Whereas the left wing seems to be a lot more scattershot and nebulous. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I want the world to be a better place. It's a lot easier for a conservative to say, oh, well, you're obviously a liberal shill because you are not conservative. So liberal has come to mean not conservative. Whereas conservative doesn't necessarily mean not liberal.
0: So taking a step back from politics, uh, Snopes isn't just a political site. So unlike some of the others that I mentioned, factcheck.org and PolitiFact, you guys look into all sorts of things that are wrong on the Internet. So what are some of the other sorts of stuff that you've been uh, during your tenure that you've looked at?
1: (laughs) Someone is wrong on the Internet. Yes. Like my whole thing is I hate inaccuracies and I hate when people are like standing behind stuff that's completely wrong and provably wrong, you know. So um we, we've had some some pretty good ones. Um, um, I finally scrolled down like three pages and I found one that isn't overtly political and it is can we boost your cognitive performance. So this is from our wonderful science writer Alex. He looked into some initial studies that say that marijuana actually does like this actually might be true. It's not settled yet, but it might actually make you smarter to be a pothead.
0: <laughs> that is not what I expected the answer to that one be.
1: <laughs> no, no. Um, the, the subhead here is uh, pilot study hints at potential cognitive benefits to regular medical marijuana use, but the scope and scale of the study made it hard to draw definite conclusions. Fair enough. But, you know, it's still pretty awesome. It's like, oh, well, I didn't expect that either. Uh, but we we still get like these these odd things like this. You know, people just want to know. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's I would love to have less political stuff lately
0: (laughs) (laughs) can't more people claim that dental floss doesn't work
1: oh god yeah that was a great one okay so I read that initial thing where the guy's like I've taken down everything you know I you don't ever have to floss and all I could think about was how much food he had stuck between his teeth and then I started to think about how much food I had stuck between my teeth I've never flossed so much as when I started doing that rebuttal. I I called a bunch of dental experts and they're like, please don't stop flossing because of this. Apparently it was um, a problem with the methodology, not with the results. You can't force people to floss. You can't like, there's a lot of ethical issues involved. You can't go floss unconscious people. You can't stand over them, you know? And so just because it's not provable doesn't mean it's not necessarily a good thing. And so I was just, after talking to them and, like, reading through the results, everything, I was horrified by, by people not flossing because they don't have to anymore. <laughs> like, oh, Right, gosh. and
0: I feel like the scientific method is one of those things that's really difficult. Like, if you're reading science journals or, or even, you know, Scientific American or magazines that are really specifically about those topics, presumably the audience and the reporters have a basic foundation in how to report these sorts of stories. But I think reporting studies in the mainstream press, you know, they tend to get like three paragraphs and it's just kind of, you know, scientists say that there is not evidence. So I guess you don't have to use dental floss where that's not actually what the study said. It just says we, yes, there's not evidence, but there's still a hypothesis that needs to be proven or disproven.
1: Yeah. It's just people don't understand how science works. They think that scientists are, I don't know what they think scientists are actually. I think they're I actually don't know. I was going to say they think scientists are all shills, the ones who are like really conspiracy minded. And then I thought, well, you know, there are a lot of shill scientists out there. So uh, I don't know.
0: There are a lot that are funded by organizations that they're doing studies for. And yeah, no, I mean, that does exist. That is definitely a problem. And it's one of the things that you need to consider when you're looking at scientific studies is, you know, did the one that say that chewing, you know, candy doesn't give you cavities? Was that funded by the candy company? Right and that does happen but it's not every study and you look for a body of work and these sort of meta-analyses and you know like climate change is a really good example of this where there're still some people who are like well you can find studies saying it's a hoax but the vast majority of studies do not say it's a hoax they say it actually exists so
1: yeah oh god it's and then you know there's this sort of idea that has come up in the last i think it's relatively new um where you, you have to provide the opposite side, and it's not actually true neutrality. It's, it's finding an opposition voice to whatever it is you're reporting about. And I think that that was, like, the first sign that things were about to get bad within journalism, this idea, oh, well, we have to provide balance. So here's, this, here's 99 scientists saying that the climate is changing and it's really bad and it's anthropogenic and that we need to do stuff to, like, clean everything up and what do we have to lose anyway, even if we do. And then there's one guy over here who's going, actually, it's chemtrails. And so he gets like this, ah, the chemtrails people. He gets, you know, equal time. And then that's, it makes it seem like his ignorance is, is worth the knowledge of 99 people. And that has been a major, major problem. And I think that that began. Well, I know that that began because journalists were not given enough time to do their own research and sort of filter through, sift through the nuance on their own. It's so much easier to just go to some loudmouth who disagrees with the status quo because you just talk and they want to talk to you. They've got an ax to grind. So you might as well just call that person and be like, so um, why doesn't climate change exist? Oh, it's a conspiracy, China, whatever, this and that. And, um, you know, it's uh, that's a really subtle but incredibly damaging thing that, you know, the, that balance versus neutrality versus actual context.
0: I believe the, uh, the experts call it false equivalence. And I mean, coming from you and I both have backgrounds in broadcast. And, you know, I think of these like 45 second stories that you get on, on news radio and in that story. If you want to include multiple voices, each voice gets like 10 seconds at best. And so there's no really good way to do that. So like, there's a way that if you had a one-hour documentary, you could throw in that climate denier. Go ahead and throw in that climate denier. You're not necessarily putting them on equal footing with the 15 other people you're going to interview for that. You're just like, well, this is what some people believe, but just so you know, here's all these other people who don't. But it's really hard to do that when you have limited space, limited time to work on the story. You've got journalists who need to crank out six stories a day. Which you know, I'm a blogger. That's what I do now too. It's crank out six stories a day, but I try to pick and choose ones that I can actually do justice to. So
1: yeah, and that's cool. I mean, that's a that's a great thing that you you know, if if it's subject matter that you know and that you don't need to spend a lot of time learning about, that's fantastic. But when you're you know, when you're in a newsroom and you're under a ton of pressure and you're trying to scrambling to learn, I mean, I know that we all say journalism is the art of explaining things that you don't understand, but I think that's a little overly cynical. And it's it's like you know, you're, of course, you're going to present a very slanted or incomplete idea of what you're trying to convey if you don't understand it to begin with. How could you not? And if you're not given the time to do it, and I, I'm I'm trying really hard not to blame actual journalists because I don't think journalists are the problem. I know tons of really committed, really talented, extremely intelligent. I mean, I know some idiots, too. I just want to be fair. Let me give you some balance. Um, But the vast majority of journalists I know are committed and impassioned and just really want to learn and write and, you know. They, they want to be journalists. And so I, I don't want to come down on them. But when you're desperate for work, you or your wife or whatever just had a baby, you've got mouths to feed, you've got you know a mortgage to keep up, and you don't know if you're going to have your job tomorrow, you're going to do whatever you're told to do, and you're going to just suck it up and do it. And um, that culture of, of fear and toxicity is just – it's filtered through to, to news reporting in a, the worst possible way. And I cannot emphasize enough – how much I think that that is part of the problem. I know I keep saying it and hammering it, but that is my specific act to grind because I've seen this fake news creep in and all these rumors and the clickbait and all this stuff happen not long after all the layoffs really started to kick in in 07, 08. And it's been difficult. And we're, we're in the age now, it's not post-truth. We're in straight up propaganda at this point. I don't know where it's coming from exactly. I know it's coming from all sides, but this, is, this isn't fake news anymore. This is like propaganda.
0: And, and, you know, there's a part of me that like, I love and hate this idea that there might just be too much, too many voices out there, right? Like on the one hand, democratization of the tools of disseminating information, that's amazing, right? Like it used to be that only the rich could afford to own a newspaper and have that be sort of their way of getting information out there. It's great that anybody can just like sit down and write what they want. Um, But you need tools to be able to decide which stuff is worth paying attention to, which people are doing real reporting, which people are just sort of making stuff up, and then people only have so many minutes in the day that they can spend paying attention to these things. So, like, you know, if you have a choice between reading every article and every website, you, I mean, you just can't do it. So, you go to Facebook or you go to Twitter or or you go to Google or you go wherever else you're going to go, and you get sort of a scan of yeah, you know, I see this headline, I see this headline, and I feel like I have a sense of what's going on in the world. And some of it
1: might not be true. And that's an issue. I mean, if if people knew that they could go to sites that are, even if they're advancing a political agenda of some sort, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't really matter that they're doing that if it's vetted, if it's contextualized, and if it's researched, if that makes sense. I think that the sort of political slant or just any kind of slant is, is secondary as long as you are presenting it in its full context. And I think that's what's been lost more than anything else is context. And that's, that's a problem.
0: Okay. So while you and I are trying to save journalism here, you know, I first became aware of Snopes as a, as a debunking site, you know, years and years ago when it was the site where if a, if a relative sent you an email and said, is this true? You'd be like, no, here's here's the Snopes link, right? So, so no, the government's not going to give you money uh, for doing nothing. No, you didn't win the publisher's clearing house and no Bigfoot doesn't exist. And so I feel like, you know, the site sort of before it I mean, maybe it's been doing politics all along and I just didn't notice, but it's been sort of this resource for a really long time. So I have to ask you, is Area 51 real?
1: <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no answer. I don't know. But wouldn't it be great if it was? Like Anything that challenges my idea of the world like and shows me that I still have a lot to learn makes me so happy. And if Area 51 indeed exists and... Well, you know what? Where's the mothership? Come on.
0: <laughs> and let's see. So, is, so is uh, is Bigfoot real?
1: Um. Well, de- define Bigfoot.
0: Okay. So there's a famous photo, I think, of Bigfoot walking through the woods. As, is, is that a real photo? No.
1: Sorry, it's a guy to gorilla Okay. Story.
0: Okay. Uh, Loch Ness monster. The 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 Loch Ness monster picture.
1: Uh. Yeah. A bad photo thing. However, we just had a story come out about a year ago, um, showing that in in that particular uh, lock. There has been evidence of some large animal. Oh God, let me let me look this up because now I don't want to be spreading bad news myself. I was reading this thing and it was like, well, yeah, actually, there is evidence that there is something there. It may not be as remarkable as Nessie, um, but it's something.
0: I love that you're excited about the prospect, though. It's not just that you're trying to disprove things; it's like, prove me wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, please. If, if this if this stuff exists, I want to know.
1: Oh man, I would lo- anything that shows me that the world is an un and and I realize that this is. I don't. I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing, but I. I really am delighted by the idea that there are things that are not settled. That that makes me really happy. Um. Okay. Um. I'm seeing a lot of like specious. Oh yeah, I was wrong. Darn it, I got fooled. Um. But yeah, it's just. It, I mean, there's a lot out there that we still don't know anything about. And I think that that people end up spreading false rumors based on an incomplete understanding of things, sometimes an incomplete understanding of things that are actually going on. That does not mean, however, that every conspiracy theory is real.
0: (laughs) But it doesn't it doesn't mean that they're all wrong either. I mean, can you think of an example where something seemed really outrageous and it turned out that maybe there was some truth to it?
1: Oh, I can think of one right now. Um, Rumors that uh, California prisons were sterilizing women like. Who would think that that was true? Like, that's the most appalling thing I've ever heard, you know, but until 2010, apparently they were sterilizing women in California prisons without their consent. And it was kind of and I mean, that's not unprecedented. I mean, scientists and I think they were doing health clinics, they being various doctors and I think government people in the 50s, you know, they were um, doing these studies on black women and they would put them under and then just sterilize them without telling them. Latina women and also uh, perpetuated these terrible things. Oh, uh, Native Alaskans. Um, Native Alaskans in prison have had experiments done on them without their explicit consent to see if they have like a physically different response to the cold weather because they can handle the cold better. And, and like that kind of stuff, you hear about it, you're like... Pfft please or or like all the re- weird declassified experiments with um, LSD and things like that
0: mm, MK ultra yeah. yeah
1: yes MK ultra oh my god and who would believe that that kind of BS was actually had grains of truth to it but here we are so how do
0: you how do you guys decide which sort of things you're going to tackle um, I mean obviously again in political season you're probably getting false seeming claims all the time. But in general, like, how do you how do you pick what news you're going to look at and which things are going to be easy or difficult or whatever?
1: Um, We actually tackle stuff based on how many emails we're getting. Um, Sometimes we try to get out ahead of whatever rumors. Some of us are better at this than others. I am. I'm really terrible at finding things that are going to go viral later and getting out in front of them, I just have absolutely no sense for it. However, we have other writers who are incredible at it. So they'll they'll go, oh, this one's going to go viral soon. We better, like, debunk it now and sort of nip it in the bud so we'll have it ready. I'm always in awe of them because they're just so damn good at it. Um, but, you know, we, usually what we do, I would say about 80% of what we do is emails. Our email volume is pretty insane. We get about, well, before the election, we got about 100 emails an hour. Now we're getting about 300 emails an hour. I'd say, like, 30% of it is death threats, and then the rest of it is, is this true? (laughs) So it's like, mostly, is this true? And then some, we're going to paint the walls with your blood, go to hell, I'm going to find you and kill you.
0: And do you prove those false? I hope you prove those false.
1: So far, so good.
0: I've never interviewed a ghost before, so <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I will tell you this. Um it's the people who don't email us that I worry about. It's the the creepy ones who are, you know, like triangulating where I live right now. It's those are the those are the ones that I'm scared of, not the ones who are like taking the time to tell me they're gonna kill me.
0: That's why we're recording this while you're in your car, actually.
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm actually moving right now.
0: You're in an undisclosed location. So,
1: so. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> so so how do, how do people come to... I mean, are there people who, like, read Snopes religiously, you know, for every single article? Or are you getting a lot of your traffic from people who are doing searches? Like, is this true? Or from social media? Or, you know, how, how does that work? How do people come to you?
1: It's about half and half, I think. Um, I, that's not a scientific assessment. I'm not really sure. But it seems to be e- about evenly divided. There are people who read us religiously, and they are... They're great, but they also drive me nuts because anytime I miss a typo or something, I get an email immediately. It's like, ah, uh, this is misspelled here. I'm like, oh, my God.
0: Those people are my proofreaders because I work alone. So I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, oh, thank you. You're my editor.
1: I mean, and I appreciate it. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to take when you're having a long day and you're like, shut up, shut up, shut up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I I have the same response. But I do actually appreciate it because I, when, sometimes I'll put up something I'll be like, oh, my God, I put the wrong year in the headline. I, I just did this for my Black Friday you know, roundup of, of – I mean, not a hugely important thing, right? But I said Black Friday deals on technology for 2017. And somebody's like, do you mean 2016? <laughs> but it took three hours before somebody corrected me. I'm like, all the people who thought that they were in a time warp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, that's the other thing. I, I do that, except I do 2015 all the time. My fingers just slip and, you know... Um, and sometimes I confuse myself because I'm like, oh, well, maybe I was talking about 2015. I don't remember anymore.
0: But yeah, so so you've got the people who are reading you uh, pretty religiously. And then you've got people who are uh, probably just like trying to find information or maybe see a link on Facebook or something else. And it seems to, seems to you like some people are coming on a per article basis. But you've definitely got people who are like, I'm going to read Snopes because I want to know what people are talking about and whether it's true.
1: Yes. And I think there's a contingent of people who hate read us so they can decide how we're shills that day. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I mean, and I'm... I, to them, I say, I totally do it too, so I totally understand.
0: <laughs> so so you've been at Snopes for a little bit over a year now, and you've been you know, a journalist for as long as I've known you. But how has working in this field, how has it changed the way that you view things in general?
1: Well, um, honestly, I've learned that um, a lot of people who think they know how to do research don't know how to do research at all, which I find incredibly disturbing, especially when it's journalists. I'm not saying all journalists are like that. I'm just saying that there are a lot who... They literally legitimately have no idea what deep research is like or what academic research is like. And it's that needs to change a lot. So there's that. Um, I've also learned that um, reporters get very cranky when you do the research and then put a thing up like debunking what they've written. They get real mad about that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I can't imagine why.
1: <laughs> I don't, we're not calling them out specifically. We're just like, this story is wrong. We're not saying this story is wrong and you you totally fucked up, you idiot.
0: Yeah, you are a horrible person. And yeah, no, we all make mistakes. And, but but like you said, with the typos, nobody wants to admit that they make the mistakes. They're like, can't you just quietly help me fix it? And then nobody will know. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, God. And I've gotten, I actually screwed something up last year. I got really overconfident with some of my research and I um I used some, some outdated research and then I just kind of like did some, analy- I like analyzed. Uh, this is so embarrassing I should not even bring it up but I analyzed um, the origin of the word guacamole like there was a story going around that it meant testicle juice in, um, in Nahuatl and so I was like well this is my purview I'm you know I'm, I've i got a degree in linguistics like I totally so I went off like all on my own and did all this research and emailed all these linguists who never wrote me back well they wrote me back eventually but um, and I got something wrong and it was like I misread the root of part of the word, and I got like this awful blog posting from some PhD in linguistics calling me out by name and going through like all the reasons I was wrong. And I, I apologized and I updated it and I linked to the blog posting, which I hated doing, but I felt like I had to. And it, it was just, oh my god, it was so painful and. Awful, <laughs> but that's really kept me on the straight and narrow, and reminded me to do deeper research and to not put stuff out before I think it's ready. And so that has really made me even more vigilant in the past year. Yeah,
0: I think I think we all need to make mistakes in order for that to happen, and it's it's painful, but it's important. I think because journalists are people, and if you're going to strive for perfection, like you're not going to get there, but you can get closer by making mistakes and learning how important it is not to make as many of them that you could have avoided.
1: Oh God, for for about three days after that, I would, I like had that horrible, I would wake up at three in the morning. I'd be like, <gasps> it was a new job too i mean that was part of the problem
0: and this is a story about guacamole it's not a story about you know political assassinations or alien invasions um but you're bearing the lead here does guacamole mean testicle juice
1: not really it kind of sort of it's basically like slang it it would be something that people like 12 year olds would say they'd be like ha ha it means ball juice (laughs) ha ha basically it means um oh god what is it moly is like a a stew and avocado the word it sort of means testicle but it's like you're saying huevos in or, or balls instead of testicles it's like this you know they kind of look like them so they'll they'll just be like oh look my my avocados are like whatever they're saying I got kicked in the avocados you know <laughs> um and so it's it's kind of like Kind of. It's it's just silly slang. It doesn't officially mean that. It's just one of the connotations. And that was where I screwed it up. And, oh, God, I can't even talk about it. Ah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for revisiting this difficult time with me.
1: <laughs> I'm um, going to go home and cry now.
0: <laughs> so, um, cry testicle tears. Anyways, um, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. So, so, so so you know, sort of getting back to, I guess, what was the major theme of this conversation before we wrap up. Um, are you hopeful or pessimistic or, like, what's your view on sort of the future of fact-based reporting at this point?
1: I don't know. It's not looking good I, I, if, if the past 10 years are are any indication. You, you know, a lot of people are calling me right now about this post-truth era thing, and I'm using it as sort of my soapbox because I really, really think that this is something that has to be addressed by people in the higher echelons of media companies you have to allocate more money and resources for journalism to be done. You can't just squeeze more stories out of some sleep-deprived person. But I, I, I don't know if anybody will listen. I'm hoping they will. I, I just don't know. Um, if, they, if they're on the side of actual news and, you know, making the world a better place and factual information, then they'll listen to me. But uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know.
0: Brooke Minkowski is managing editor at Snopes.com. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us.
1: Thank you so much. It was such an honor.
0: You can find more of Brooks' work at Snopes.com, and you can visit LPXshow.com to find out more about this podcast, listen to past episodes, or find out how to follow us on social media, or send us an email. You can also subscribe to LPX in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you can find podcasts. And if you want to help support the show, you can make a donation to our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash Brad Linder. Thanks for listening to LPX. I'm Brad Linder.